ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله عليه وعلى اله واصحابه ومن سار على نهجه ومستن بسنته الى يوم الدين اما بعد فاتقوا الله ايها الاحباب فقد امرنا سبحانه وتعالى في تنزيله يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن الا وانتم مسلمون ثم اما بعد my brothers and sisters on this blessed day of this blessed hour of يوم الجمعه first and foremost we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to shower his acceptance and his forgiveness upon each and every one of us here today. We ask Allah azza wa jal to shower his mercy and his protection upon each and every one of us here today. Allahumma ameen. We ask Allah azza wa jal to shower his protection, his nasr, his aid upon the Rohingyan Muslims and everything that they have to endure and suffer through each and every day. You know, one of the frightening things about standing up here and speaking to an audience is by the time this khutbah is over, perhaps maybe thousands more of the Rohingyan people might be tortured or killed or misplaced by the time this khutbah is done in 20 minutes or so. When you hear something like that, and then you sit and you think right here at home, Mexico is trying to recover from a massive earthquake that just came out of nowhere. Parts of, uh, of the United States are recovering from Hurricane Irma. Then we had Hurricane Harvey. Then this morning there was an explosion in the UK. Almost 20 people, 20 casualties. Like, if you just paused for a moment, and I'm sure a lot of you have done this, if you just stop for a moment and really think what the world looks like in 2017, it's a really scary and frightening place, especially when you've got young children. Because you can't help but think as a parent, if this is what it looks like today, what's going to happen 10 years down the line? What's going to happen 15 years down the line with my son and my daughter? What's their future going to look like? I sometimes feel that we, as people in this part of the world, that have a sense of security, safety, and stability, I sometimes feel we're also on the edge. That Allah Azza wa Jal will cause some massive test or trial or fitna that is just waiting to come our way. Why did Allah spare us and not others? This is what I want to share with you today. Our responsibility as a people, when we are living in peace and surrounded with tragedy, what is our responsibility? Now there's one thing I want to start off with. When scholars talk about tests from Allah, they divide tests or ibtila in two categories. 
first category are tests with hardship. You feel the pain. You endure some kind of fitna and hardship. That's the most common kind of trial and test that you and I are accustomed to. But the second category is the most frightening one because it's the most difficult one for the average Muslim to detect and pay keen attention to. And that is when Allah Azza wa Jal puts you through test with peace, comfort, and ni'mah. That's why some of the ulama, they have a statement they say, الخطر, the thing that is most dangerous, some people, they look around themselves and they see all these blessings. They see that Allah blessed them with a good house, blessed marriage, children, stability, wealth. They see all of these things. And they convince themselves, they convince themselves, all of these things are signs that Allah has blessed me. Allah is taking good care of me. Watch out for this test. It's the most difficult one to detect. Because part of Allah's plan, His sunnah, part of Allah's plan is that sometimes Allah allows the rope to stay loose. وَكَذَلِكَ أَخْذُ رَبِّكَ إِذَا أَخْذَ الْقُرَى وَهِيَ ظَالِمًا إِنَّ أَخْذَهُ أَلِيمٌ شَرِيرٌ Allah tells us this in Quran. But sometimes, when you least expect it, when you think everything is going smooth and fine, when you think that, alhamdulillah, living in this part of the world, it's all good. Hurricane Irma is pretty far away. Hurricane Harvey was way down south. Not a big deal, alhamdulillah. You see, that's okay when you praise Allah and you thank Him because you weren't put through that tragic test. But the tragedy behind that is if you don't tweak your life to express gratitude to Allah of what you do have, the blessings you do have. Let me give you an example. So here you've heard that the thing that ulama are most afraid of is when Allah tests us with more and more blessings. When you least expect it, Allah speaks in Surah Al-Hud and says that part of His plan is that He allows some people, you know, you want to be an unhealthy, ill-minded, intolerant person that no one can get along. No one can have a decent conversation with you. Every time they speak to someone like you, they're always engaged in backbiting and slandering this person and that person. If you ever meet people like this, but Allah blessed them with a beautiful car and a beautiful home and lots of money, you might be scratching your head and thinking, what is really going on here? Allah says in Surah Hud, just wait for it. Because the snatching of Allah is part of His plan. He allows you to enjoy your life. Just let the rope loose. Sit back. 
enjoy all your wealth and your power and your money and your status. Because when you least expect it, his snatching when you least expect it is the most painful. When you least think that, okay, I'm healthy and I'm fine. You wake up the next day, you get a headache. You go to the doctor because this headache isn't going away. You take the Tylenols and the Advils, you do everything. It's not going away. You go to the doctor, you don't smoke, you don't, you don't do anything, you eat healthy, you exercise, you go to the gym, you follow a good diet. The doctor does some tests and says, you've got cancer. Start saying your goodbyes. And you're sitting there thinking, what just happened? And put aside yourself for a moment. You might come from a good home and may Allah preserve and protect your home. But then for whatever reason, you are a practicing parent or a practicing child. But for some reason, your siblings or your children just went in a different direction. And you're wondering, you volunteer at the masjid, you do all of these wonderful things for Allah, but your child or one of your parents, they went in a different direction. Every time you put on your hijab or you want to dress modestly or you want to do something for Allah, what are you wasting your time for? You know, just Hajj season just finished. There was a parent who called me, begging me to convince her child not to go for Hajj. Can, can you imagine the dilemma? Because, and I asked, well, what is the problem? I know the parents have a haq, so I wanted to listen to her. What is the reason? What, what happened? She's so young. How old do you think she was? 27 years old. She's so young. I don't want her to think about that right now. Never in my life have, have I ever received a phone call in this nature where somebody is, is actually convincing you, don't go that path for Allah. Just chill and relax for a little bit. Enjoy your life. That's the most dangerous test. So where does that leave you and I? Right now, there are over one million Rohingya Muslims. I don't even want to say Muslims, Rohingya people, because a minority of them are also Hindus. Religion is irrelevant. These are human beings. These are human beings. A lot of you here, parents, when your child gets stung by a bee or a mosquito, as a parent, that's something you don't like for your child. You take them to the doctor or you try and treat it immediately. They come to you and they complain about pain or something. It bothers you as a parent because you don't want your children to suffer and go through that. And the same thing with children. You look at your mom and dad and you're like, look how they work and they give me everything I want. All the support in this world. You don't want your parents to suffer. Can you imagine if one day, like what some of these people in Rohingya are dealing with, there was a story that was written, there was an article released of a, of a father. He held both of his hands like this to the interviewer. And he started counting 
all of his children, his wife, that he watched from behind a bush being thrown into the water one by one. He witnessed with his own eyes each member of his family and all of his children being taken away and there was nothing that he could do. And he's being interviewed and he's talking. I don't even know how can you find a voice to speak after going through that ordeal. Why am I saying all of this? We have a massive responsibility right now that Allah still blessed us with some sense of stability. We have a massive task on our hands. And if I didn't talk about this on the minbar today, and if you go to another masjid and the imam doesn't talk about these issues, keep in mind, 99% of the khatibs that you might be listening to may not talk about this issue on the minbar, but they are advocating and supporting and participating in campaigns, in conferences, in charity programs, they are out there on the ground working against or for these causes. So be very careful before you judge. Before you judge and you say to yourself, what's this khatib talking about? This happened recently as well. There was an audio clip of a young sister. It went viral. What did she do? She recorded herself cursing the khatib that she had to listen to that Friday. Why? Because he didn't mention anything about the Rohingya tragedy or any of the other things. Instead, he talked about the importance of ilm. So she cursed him and she made dua against him and so on and so forth. It just so happens that that imam was actually the president and CEO of one of the largest charity organizations in the world. Just because for the 20 minutes he was there, he didn't mention it. All of this now gather it. Here's our starting point. Now you know what the problems are. You hear it and you see it. So what do we do? Three things I want to share with you. Number one, gratitude, gratitude, gratitude. I want to bring your attention to a, a set of verses in Surah An-Nisa. For those of you who might not be familiar with Surah An-Nisa, Surah An-Nisa has one central theme. And that theme is it has all of the tools needed to build a healthy community. Not a healthy administration, a healthy community. That's why Surah An-Nisa, the first ayah Allah denounced and took care of discrimination and racism. Because when you're living in a community, you are all together as a family. You are neighbors to one another. You have to look out for each other. So the first thing Allah Azza wa Jal took care of was, don't discriminate against each other. You all come from the same father. Then the surah continues and it starts talking about certain habits. And then it talked about a group of troublemakers. About 60 or so verses of Surah An-Nisa is devoted to troublemakers. In Arabic, we call them the munafiqun, the hypocrites. After that conversation was done, listen to how Allah concluded that conversation of hip hypocrites. Allah Azza wa says, 
that the munafiqeen إِنَّ الْمُنَافِقِينَ فِي الدَّرْكِ الْأَسْفَلِ مِنَ النَّارِ That the munafiqeen, they are at the very bottom, at the pit of the fire. وَلَنْ تَجِدَ لَهُمْ نَصِيرًا They're not going to have any source of, you notice the word, nasira from nasrun. There are several words to describe when you're helping someone. Nasrun doesn't just mean help. It means a large amount of humanitarian aid. So these munafiqun, if they've reached to the pit of the fire itself, Allah is literally saying there is no aid that will come to him except by his permission. But then the conversation continues. Allah gave some exceptions. Allah continues. And he gave some exceptions. And he said that, look, except for the people that make tawbah, they corrected themselves. What does that tell you about munafiqun? If somebody has nifaq traits in them, if somebody has a little bit of hypocrisy in them, this verse actually tells you you can recover from that. You can fix those problems. So Allah says that even though the munafiqun are at the pit of the fire, except for those who repented. And they fixed themselves. They held on. They held on to Allah. And they sincerely, sincerely devoted their deen to Allah. These were the people Allah put them with, the believers. After all was said and done, listen to the, the verse that I really want to share with you. This is the verse that I want to share with you. Because when you look at these verses of the hypocrites, one can't help themselves but wonder and think for a moment, man, am I one of them? Do I have some of these qualities? You can't help but ask yourself these questions when you study this. And then you, some students, they'll even question, well, why did Allah even create punishment and create a hellfire? Why so much? Why did it even have to reach to that extent? Allah addresses that and says, Allah doesn't get anything out of punishing people. He doesn't get anything out of that. But what's important to Allah is, in shakartum wa amantum, wa kan Allahu shakiran alima. Three things. If you are grateful to Allah, so this is the first responsibility we all have is that we all have to be grateful to Allah of what it is that we are faced with, our, li our lifestyle and the security and peace that we have, we have to be grateful for it. It might sound a bit strange to you if I said to you, we have to be grateful for the eye eyesight that Allah blessed us with, our hands. You know what some people, when they hear that, you know what they think, what's the big deal? Like, Okay, fine, grateful for your hands. It sounds so trivial. That's the problem. When you trivialize things like this and you take them for granted, that in and of itself is a major problem. As Imam al-Ghazali rahimahullah once said, when you trivialize minor sins, that trivialization itself is a major sin. That attitude itself is a major problem. So Allah says that you gotta be grateful. And you have faith in Him. And Allah is very appreciative of this. 
Shakir is the term that is used to describe gratitude between two people. But Allah used the same term to describe that He Himself is appreciative when you show gratitude to Him. Allah appreciates that from you. If this point still is not driven home, then I want to turn your attention to Surah Al-Dahr, Surah Al-Insan, where Allah Azza wa Jal, He talked about how He created all of mankind. But after he spoke about the creation of mankind, listen to what Allah Azza wa Jal said. Allah Azza wa Jal says, then we took all of mankind and we guided them. We gave them some sense of direction. But then they split. One group was grateful, but the other group was ungrateful. They committed kufr. Do you see the connection? Allah said one was grateful, but the other was committed kufr. What does that tell you about the person who is ungrateful? It's a form of kufr. Subhanallah. You could actually you lose your deen. You could lose your identity simply because you are not grateful. May Allah preserve and protect the trait of being grateful in our hearts and in our lives, Allahumma ameen. That's the first responsibility. The second responsibility is have faith. I know that for a lot of you, if not all of you, when you hear the news and you see your fellow brothers and sisters going through what they go through, I know it's frustrating. Some of us may feel angry. And you're thinking to yourself, why? Why so much bloodshed? Why so much tragedy? Allah calls himself Al-Azizul Hakim. He is the all-powerful and all-wise. That's a very dignified way of saying Allah knows what he's doing. Don't question him. This is the time where we need to hold on to our faith. We have to stop allowing trivial issues to come between us. If there's a disagreement, you know what some Muslims, what they do? They will walk by you and not even give you a salam. Just because they disagree about one trivial matter. The Prophet says, Afshu salam, give the salam and spread it. He didn't say, except when you disagree. He didn't give any ex exceptions to that. What does that teach you? That despite how much you disagree, there is always a link that is never broken. And that is the link of salam. It's never broken. You might have like a family member who's always the troublemaker in the family. We all have one of those. The minimum requirement is you keep a salam. You keep that link, that link you don't break it. Trivial matters. We have to like get out of this. If you have problems with the family and relationship issues, we have to fix those problems. Because you know why? We are running out of time. All the adults that are sitting here, do you remember about 15 or 20 years ago what one day felt like? It felt like 24 hours. What does a day feel like today? There's just not enough time in the day. Do you remember Ramadan? How it came and it left? The hujjaj that performed their hajj. I can't believe it's already done and gone and you're back here with us. 
just think about what, how the cycle of this world is taking place. And just before you recover from one natural disaster, six more already happened. Our messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam told us, watch out for this. Because when this starts happening, it's the day of judgment right around the corner. Natural disasters will start to increase. Muslims will fight with each other for the most trivial things. The salam will be reserved only for those that they actually get along with. It's not for all Muslims, just the people they can connect with. A man will find it absolutely no problem. He will be completely desensitized seeing his fellow brother or sister fill Islam and not have a care in the world of giving them their, his salam giving them even just a bit of attention, not even care, and still find a, a, somehow to go to sleep at night in peace. Our Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam told us there will come a time where khushur, concentration in prayer, will be snatched away. When that starts happening, be prepared. The Day of Judgment is right behind you. Ask yourself what it feels like praying today. When you get one of those salah, I can't even say a salah. When you get one raka'ah that you've really focused in, it's like the best feeling in the world. Just the one raka'ah. Like, man, I remember that raka'ah. I really focused. I was crying in that raka'ah. That's what we're holding on to right now. These are all things to wake us up. There's one final point that I will conclude with in the second part of the khutbah. And at this point, we ask Allah Azza wa Jal to protect our brothers and sisters. We ask Allah Azza wa Jal to relieve them of their pain and suffering. Ya Rabbi, we can't do anything without your permission. Ya Allah, we can't walk without your permission. We can't speak without your permission. We can't see without your permission. We can't think without your permission. We can't breathe without your permission. Ya Rabbi, with all the blessings you have given us, cause us to be of people that are constantly in gratitude and devotion to you, Ya Rabb. Aqulu ma tasma'oon wa astaghfirullah li wa lakum wa risa'ir al-muslimina min kulli dham fa-astaghfiru innahu huwa al-ghafuru al-rahim. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa ashabihi wa man wala amma ba'd. So I'd like to conclude, and here's the third responsibility. We understand the problems now, so how do we fix it? How do we contribute to easing those problems? Well, today we all have an opportunity. Normally, I don't do this on the member, but sometimes we have to. There are, there are organizations and people, some of them are here today. Brothers and sisters, peel out whatever contribution you can from your heart and soul and think about why didn't Allah put you or me in Rohingya? How come we're not there? Or how come the tables didn't turn and that tragedy taking place there is happening here? Why? Allah gave us a responsibility now. Put some action, some movement to say to yourself that at least I am going to do something. And even if that's not possible, today what I'd like to do in the last sajda of the salah, if you allow me to, 
I'd like to extend that last sajda for an additional three seconds. Utter one sentence for the Rohingya people. One sentence. Three seconds. Think what you want to say. Oh Allah, protect them and bless them. Allahumma ameen. Done. Because one of you sitting here, or all of us sitting here, our du'as might be accepted. And as a result of your contribution with something more valuable than anything on the face of this earth, your prayers and your dua, this could be the turning point. So this is the least that we could all do, is at least devote a portion of our sajda to these poor people. So may Allah bless all of you, and may Allah continue to increase us in knowledge, sincerity, in understanding. May Allah continue to increase our hearts with gratitude, with love and devotion. May Allah reunite our hearts together. And may Allah strengthen our hearts and our relationships together. May Allah keep us united as an ummah, as one body and one soul. May Allah strengthen our bond. Allahumma ameen. We send peace and blessings to our Rasul, salawatu rabbi, wa salamuhu alayka ma amarana subhanahu wa ta'ala fi tanzili. Inna Allah wa malaikatahu yusallun ala al-nabi. Ya ayyuhal ladhina amanu, sallu alayhi wa sallimu taslima. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala ali Muhammad kama sallayta ala Ibrahima wa ala ali Ibrahima innaka hamidun majid. Allahumma aghfir al-muslimina wal-muslimat wal-mu'minina wal-mu'minat al-ahyai minhum wal-amwat innaka qaribun sami'un mujibu al-da'wat. Allahumma ansur ikhwanana fi kulli makan ya rabbal alameen. Allahumma ansur ikhwanana fi kulli makan ya arhamar rahim. ربنا آتنا في الدنيا حسنة وفي الآخرة حسنة وقنا عذاب النار سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون والسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين وأخلص